Welcome back here on Badeberg Stereo from Fern Duffy Legal News. We have uh, two guests today. Vejo Marakala will firstly discuss with us the um, land claims case where the claimants were unsuccessful in the land claims court. Um, the uh, Mavundulo community did not succeed with their claims. So uh, we'll hear what uh, the facts there are and what we can learn from that uh, court decision. And then secondly, secondly, Rechel will also talk to us about the successful application that was brought by Reino de Beer and an organization called the Liberty Fighters Network uh, regarding the COVID-19 regulations. And then uh, thirdly, we will also be talking to Tandeka um, as well, Tandeka Mpanza, regarding the defamation action that was uh, brought against uh, Mr. Bantu Ulomisa. So we'll see what the outcome of that case was. So yeah, please stay tuned. And uh, remember that you can send us your emails at uh, info at vvd for von Duffy.co.za. My name is uh, Volker Kruger. And uh, remember also that you can listen to our podcast. You will find them on our website. Website address is vvd.co.za. And then you'll find under media, there's a water book of Waterberg Stereo, rather, section where you can listen to the podcast of the pre previous uh, programs. We're talking to Rejo Marakala here from Van Felden Duffy about, uh, firstly, um, yeah, a case in the land claims court where the lawyers were ordered to repay um, the fees to their clients. That is quite a drastic. Uh, order. Um, I see it was described as a hopeless uh, case. It was the claim brought by the Mavundulu communi community, a land claim as such. Um, but yeah, um, Rejo, please uh, give us uh, the facts that the court had to decide on. Yes, Volker. Um, <clears throat> this is quite an interesting judgment. Uh, the judgment was delivered on the 25th of May. Uh, 2020 um, by the Land Claims Court in Peter Marisburg. And to all other um, Isuzulu speakers out there, I would like to put a disclaimer for the pronunciation of the, the Mavudlulu uh, community and for ease of convenience uh, to me and not to do any prejudice to any Zulu speakers out there. I apologize in advance. Yeah. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Uh, you pronounce it different from what I now said. No? Just say that again. How do you pronounce that actually, as far as you know? Mavudlulu. Uh, I'm not sure. I also certain for Okay. Okay. Right. But yes, okay. um, for the brief facts of the matter, Volker, the Mavudlulu community, they lodged a land claim um, sometime in 30 December 1998. So you can imagine through all that time that the they lodged a land claim in 1998 only to have a final conclusion now it's something else so Volker, the land to which the claim was subjected to was um, in new hanover which is a small town that is located about 40 kilometers from peter marisburg in kzn and thereafter as all the processes that are involved with land claim uh, it was investigated and it was gazetted uh, sometime in 2007 um, and the list of properties were also amended sometime in 2011. And um, <clears throat> by that time, uh, the court found that um, 
the the community or the people that had lodged that claim was described as a community. Now, when the matter came before the court, the trial related to only the farms of Moiplatz, um, which was granted to Mr. Lars um, sometime in 1853, and uh, another farm in Spitzkop in uh, 1851, that was also uh, belonged to a, a certain uh, individual. Now, during time, uh, Volker, those farms, you know, they went under various subdivisions and change of ownership over the years and so forth. Um, now, in the matter and during the trial, um, the Mabudlulu community um, always described them, themselves as a, as, a, as a community, as a, opposed to a group or any other uh, form of uh, land claimant. Um, so now in the matter before the land claims court, um, there were witnesses that had to be led, you know, to give um, their evidence. And now <clears throat> I came to some of these matters relating to land claims. There will be all people that can remember memories and stuff like that. So there were lay witnesses who were involved in the matter. This constituted obviously of certain old members of the Mabudlulu community. And there was also expert uh, witnesses. Um, there were about two on behalf of the Mabudlulu community folker. Okay. Um, so what did the court at the end of the day have to find and, and what uh, conclusion did the court make? Yes, Volker. Um, so now, as akin to uh, trial proceeding matters, um, issues of evidence, a person will have to give their side of the story and for their side of the story to be tested. Now, um, I'll first start with the expect witnesses. Um, as we know, Volker, expect witnesses are not hired gunmen and they're always supposed to give uh, evidence that does not favor the particular person that um, is brought before the court. In other words, they're not hired gunmen. And, and, and expect witnesses um, evidence, um, although it, it does not uh, say to the court what they must do, but it provides some form of probative value to the evidence and the conclusion that a court is supposed to make. Now, yeah. with regards to the first witness, um, the testimony was then led and the report uh, interrogated upon thereupon. And <clears throat> the court actually found with a certain individual who was an expert on behalf of the Mavudulu community, the court assessed his evidence and testimony and actually came to the conclusion to say that he did not have the proper qualification to conclude that uh, Mavudulu was a community in terms of the uh, restitution of uh, uh, the Restitution Act, uh, Section 1 in particular. And um, he had practiced and shared the same traditions to conclude that the Mavudulu community had practiced and shared the same traditions and or rituals whilst they were occupying such a land. And therefore, there was not much uh, evidence that the court could uh, take to support the Mavudulu community's uh, case. With regards to the second witness, um, he had uh, expertise in relation of, to aerial photography. Now, he testified as to the existence of people who were living in the land so claimed. Um, and he had also conceded that he was not an expert, expect, you know, um, but that he was merely there to assist other experts and the court to make an informed decision of um, his uh, version of the, um, the, the evidence and the uh, professional experience and his testimony thereof. 
and, a re and as a result, folk, uh, there was also no evidence uh, by these witnesses that uh, the Mavutlulu community was indeed a community. In other words, the, the witness, the, the Mavutlulu's witnesses, um, expect witnesses, did not pro provide any substantive um, assistance to their case. Now, the court then thereafter went on to conclude in, res in respect of the expert witnesses that the, both the experts and also including the lay witnesses, Folker, only came to a reasonable conclusion that they were living on the land that was owned by the uh, former uh, owners of the land and that they, that they had lived by the rules of such owners so that they are ancestors. Um, basically, what this concludes, Falker, is the fact that um, as a land claimant, you're supposed to prove that indeed you were dispossessed of that particular land. It is not that Falker whereby you hire me to work on your land and I live by your rules and I also have other fellows who are residing on your um, land and I abide by your rules and I have some form of, let me say, uh, enjoyments residing in your land and then after 55 years or 60 years and so forth and so forth. And then I can claim that indeed I was um, entitled to that particular uh, land and therefore I can lodge a land claim in regards to it. That is the conclusion that we can draw there further, uh, Foka. And another thing that the court focused on is that they say that it is the duty of a land claimant to show that it is a community as envisaged in the Restitution Act, which defines a community, uh, Foka, to simplify it, meaning that it's supposed to be a group of persons whose rights in land are derived from shared rules and values determining the access to land that is held in common by such a group and it includes part of any such a group so in essence what it means for is that it is not only the issue of a person having certain enjoyments within that particular property, but what is the, the, the titan duty that is on a claimant is to show that indeed they had certain rights to that land, not rights that were um, given to them by, let's say, for instance, a landowner and, 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 and so forth. So um, in totality, um, the court assessed the evidence that was um, led by both the experts and what the defendants had to say, and they concluded that no, 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 no. Um, these were not um, uh, a community as envisaged by the act. And obviously, Foka, that conclusion will result in a land claim being rejected, Foka. The court, Foka, then went further to assess the issues that are relating to costs. Um, this is a very interesting uh, aspect, Foka. And the landowners, like in other words, the, um, the defendants um, who had uh, right um, to that particular pieces of land or farms, they were awarded costs on a party and party scale of which was to be paid by the state and not the Mavudlulu um, community. Now, there was another interesting aspect that the court actually had to determine. And this particular conclusion, Foka, it was an issue that was raised by the court in itself, Merumutu. It's a Latin term that actually uh, denotes that a court can ask a question out of interest's sake, out of its own accord. So neither of the parties can raise this question, but the court can. And the, the court uh, held that um, they asked the Mavutlulu uh, uh, lawyers to say that why um, should their fees be paid um, from inception of the trial and assisting the Mavutlulu community up until the matter was finalized by the court. 
Now, because the reason why this was is that it was very clear from the onset. Now, um, it was very clear to, from the onset and it should have been clear to the lawyers who were handling the case on behalf of the Mavudlulu community to say that it should have became clear from the first consultation or first discussion with the Mavudlulu community that there was they were not a community as defined by the Act. So any 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 application or claim that is brought um, in respect of that land would have not uh, succeeded Falker. And another interesting fact that the court um, um, assessed was that um, one of the advocates was acting on behalf of the Mavidlulu community. The court says that we are very aware of this gentleman. He has appeared in our court for a various long time dealing with matters of this particular nature. So it is understandable as to why he didn't see this particular issue becoming an issue, which was, um, in other words, uh, uh, leading a, a group of individuals by a blind man. And the court couldn't therefore not see as to why this shouldn't have not been seen from the onset until the matter had been finalized, of which the attorneys or and the advocates should have seen that the Mavudlulu community is being funded by government and it's paying these lawyers. And therefore, as a result, Falker, the court came to a conclusion to say that what the order that we are going to make, and that meaning that all the monies that the state had paid to the Mavidlulu community lawyers should be repaid back and they won't be paid any more monies um, with regards to the litigation of the case Falker. And the court say that um, they've done that previously before, even the land claims court in itself. So it's not something that is sui generis or out of the extraordinary. Okay, but surely it doesn't happen very often. I mean, the court obviously really frowned upon the conduct of the lawyers no? and that they didn't um, realize sooner that they actually don't have a, a valid uh, um, uh, case to, to take to court. No? So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a litigation attorney, but uh, I, I think this sort of still happens in only exceptional cases. Yes, 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 Volker. That is exactly what the, the court then uh, uh, made an, obiter, an opinion of um, in passing to say that, look, lawyers are, are creatures of instructions and a lawyer must not accept instructions and argue cases which are not sustainable in law. Like, let's say, for instance, uh, um, we've talked previously about instances whereby um, a doctor will perform a surgery and then uh, you issue action against that doctor because they were negligent. And the court says that under certain circumstances, when you and then a lawyer goes to court and then argues that that particular claim is not based on delict, that obviously that is not a point that will be very valid in law. Now, they say that um, a lawyer should consider that we're not saying that lawyers must not accept instructions, but, but they should be very um, 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 critical of their clients and they should also um, advise their clients accordingly to say that we'll run an inherent risk of this becoming that. And also to a certain extent, it can assist the lawyer to indemnify himself against such an occurrence. I guess also especially so if it's the state financing the lawyers now or actually taxpayers financing the lawyers now. Yes. That, that's what basically happened here, no? Yes, yes, Foucault. That is basically what happened. Yeah, okay. So what do you think? Do you agree with the with the court's conclusion? Most definitely, Foucault. I agree with the court's conclusion because, Foucault, I think through 
time immemorial and what we taught here at VVD is that um, always build your case from the first day a client walks into your office um, to ensure that you get all the relevant uh, documentation, you assist the client if it's, if it's necessary and it's such of a nature that it will require expert opinion. Um, it is always best fitted to build your foundation solid as possible so that when you get to trial, you do not make, um, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, think of the foot um, conclusions regarding a matter that might um, affect your client detrimentally, you know, focus. So I most definitely agree with the case. Um, it sets a clarion call not only to lend uh, related matters, particularly with regards to claimants who claim to be a community, whilst on the other hand it is not, but it also sends a clarion call um, to um, lawyers, litigation lawyers, and also some little bit of uh, tips on expert witnesses as to what uh, is the relevant of an expert witnesses and do they have certain qualifications that will actually advance their case or not advance their case. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's sort of the lesson learned for for lawyers and uh, I guess also um, a message to potential claimants in respect of, uh, you know, land claims, etc. Um, you can't just uh, allege that you are community. Uh, there must be evidence, no? proper evidence to, to show the, to the court that you really functioned as a community before you will, um, you know, succeed with a, a land claim of this, this nature. Do you, do you agree? Yes, most definitely, Volker, um, because of the uh, normal principle in law that he who alleges should be able to prove. Now, in this regard, particularly to land claim related matters, um, whereby a community will uh, allege that the, they were dispossessed of land, um, they're supposed to, on a balance of probability, they have that burden to actually show to the court that they are a community as envisaged by the Act. Now, if it's negative, then obviously the whole thing becomes dismantled. Yeah. All right. I guess some good news for the landowners in this case, and I guess also for taxpayers because of the special um, cost order. All right. Thanks, uh, Rico. Sorry, Rico, I actually cut you off there. I don't know. Is, is there anything that you want to add? Uh, what, what, what is your opinion on this one? Um, Volker, another interesting debate that has currently been ongoing, Volker, it's whether actually um, the government took a right approach in terms of um, utilizing the D Disaster Management Act, um, which seems generally reserved for national disasters, having not to do anything with the pandemics, but with climate-related and human-induced disasters, Volker, such as floods and so forth, Volker. Um, yeah. and it, it, it still boggles my mind as to whether other pieces of legislation could have been used um, to control um, the COVID-19 or rather issue regulations in terms of that. Like for instance, Volker, there's what we call the International Health Regulations Act of South Africa. Now, that particular act primarily deals with infectious diseases that are subject to its regulations. Although the act does not uh, list COVID-19 because um, Volker, we just discovered COVID-19 sometime early last year, late last year, but it identifies other similar related infectious disease and also caters for um, the um, other diseases which are commonly uh, linked to COVID-19 Volker. So these are actually pressing issues, legal issues as to whether or not the Disaster Management Act 
is actually the um, correct act that should have been utilized in terms of an act that is designated to primarily deal with infectious diseases. And that is why you see so many ongoing um, um, issues being uh, 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 addressed or rather parties approaching the court uh, because this is not the proper act that should have been utilized. But as the judgment also noted in passing to say that they'll take it into account that it is accepted that the, the applicants are not challenging the Disaster Management Act, but they're challenging the regulations that are pursuing there too. But I think, Fork, as time goes, um, we, are, we, are, we are learning our lessons and um, that should be a good thing. I guess it's a unique situation that we have in South Africa and obviously in all, you know, everywhere in the world with what is happening now with the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and I would think that uh, we might see some new legislation you know, here in, in our country and, and probably also many other countries after all the legal lessons that we now also learned by, by lawyers and by the governments, uh, you know, uh, ruling everywhere in the world. So, yeah, maybe that will also be uh, some of the consequences of, of, of what is happening now at the moment is that uh, new laws uh, might be drafted which uh, cater more, uh, you know, properly for, for, you know, these kind of situations so that there's a uh, good uh, legal framework for you know the government to to deal with the disaster of uh, of this nature. All right, um, yeah. Anything else you want to add, uh, Rico? Or is, or is that uh, your opinion on this uh, interesting case? Yes, yes. That was one of the contentious issues, uh, Fokker. Okay. All right. Once again, thank you, Rico. Pleasure, Fokker. Talking to Rejo Marakala from, from Fernand Duffy again. Uh, second case that we have here is, uh, yeah, the interesting one brought by Reino de Beer, which uh, was widely reported on in the news and um, in the media. The, uh, he represents an organization called Liberty Fighters Network. And then I see one of the headings of an article in the Mail and Guardian is that states paternalistic regulations struck down. Um, now, on the face of it, it looks like he um, had a big victory in court, but it's actually not that simple. No? But let's rather um, ask Rehu to give us some more clarity in this regard. Uh, firstly, Rehu, you know, what um, was the nature of the application brought by this uh, Reino de Beer? Um, Forka, you know, there's been numerous litigations that have been ongoing, particularly pertaining to the um, regulations that are pu published by government. And this matter is not of much difference to those uh, particular ones. As we know, um, tomorrow the Pretoria High Court will also be hearing the tobacco ban challenge that has been brought. Um, so this is also one of those judgments where um, De Beer, um, I'll just call it that for simplicity, um, they sought uh, to declare those particular regulations, uh, particularly regulation dealing with level three and four, to be declared unconstitutional, unlawful, and invalid for Okay. And uh, what was the outcome? What did the, the court find? They basically brought an application to have all the regulations that are part of uh, um, yeah, the, the current uh, COVID-19 regulations no? uh, declared invalid. So, so uh, what did the court then find? Um, Fulka and to all the listeners, as we might be aware, I think sometime in 15 March 2020, you know, in terms of Section 3, um, the minister then declared a national state of disaster. And there thereafter, on the 25th of March, 
um, they published certain regulations in terms of the Disaster Act. Now, these regulations, FOCA, we are aware that they introduced a nationwide uh, lockdown and unprecedented limitations and prohibitions um, in terms of um, what I'll call our Chapter 2 rights as contained in the Constitution being the Bill of Rights. And many of these regulations, for uh, particularly those that are purported to limit the constitutional rights enshrined in the uh, Bill of Rights, <clears throat> have become controversial. Now, in becoming controversial, Falker, on the 28th of May, De Beer and others, you know, they brought an urgent application to declare that the state of uh, disaster, Regulation 3 and Regulation 4, to be declared unconstitutional and unlawful and invalid. Now, one of the reliefs that was sought for by the applicants was that the state of disaster be declared unconstitutional, unlawful and invalid, that um, some certain section of the regulations be declared also constitutional, unlawful and invalid, that the gatherings be declared lawful, alternatively allowed, subject to certain conditions, and that businesses, services and shops be allowed to operate subject to reasonable precautionary measures. Now, the two main arguments um, that were before the court for uh, there were two main arguments that were based on rationality and constitutional limitation test. They further relied on the alleged irrational reaction to the coronavirus itself and the number of deaths that has been caused by it. Now, Fulker, the court in being able to determine all these particular issues, you can imagine Fulker, it's an urgent application whereby a court is um, told, you know what, stand up, we want to fight this thing within three days, you know, and we have all these documents and thousands of documents to be able to understand and give a judgment there to um, Fulker is that the court then um, had to assess the purpose of the act, which is the Disaster Act. And the court noted that its main objective and aim is to assist and protect the public, protecting property, preventing or combating disruption, and dealing with destructive and other events of the disaster. Now, Volker, for simplicity, the court then held that there was no rational, uh, rational connection um, as set out between the aims and objectives that I've just listed out for uh, and the limitation of the rights in which the regulations would require will not be a permissible limitation in terms of section 36 of the constitution. The court further held that the minister could not provide any certain clarity in their affidavit to actually counter otherwise. And some aspects Fulker uh, that were mentioned with regards to the rationality test is that, for instance, Fokker, the court noted that when someone, for instance, is in a deathbed um, due to uh, COVID-19, family members could not visit because of the lockdown regulation prohibited this. However, on the other hand, a family and a loved one could always attend a funeral, but it should not be more than 50. Now, obviously, Fokker, that will not be rational. Um, and the other aspect that the court um, considered was to say that for instance, informal traders and waste pickers and hairdressers, they contact with people would be less in a day, but whilst on the other hand, the attendance of people in a funeral will be more. And this also appeared to be irrational, Fokker. Now, in so doing, Fokker, um, the court was then faced with these particular um, arguments and they, the court had to analyze whether there was any rationality in um, uh, regulating or rather giving uh, uh, 
control um, or aspects that will limit all these particular rights uh, of FOCA. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, my, my feeling would be, and I don't know whether you agree with the judgment that the court should be careful to interfere with the executive's, you know, decisions in such a case, because, uh, yeah, for it to be irrational, um, I think it's, it's quite a high bar that, that the law set, sets. Um, if you can justify your, you know, regulation, if, if, if you can, with your argument, justify that, that it achieves the, the aim that you're trying to achieve with the regu regulation, then I think the, the court shouldn't uh, readily interfere with that. No? Oh, what do you think? Do you agree with the, with the judge? Um, well, Foka, like again, as I said, um, <clears throat> the judgment in itself, it has its own pitfalls, you know, um, shorthand. Um, and I say this with an understanding that, you know, it's an urgent court. Um, it's Monday today. We draft papers, we go to court, and by Wednesday, we need a judgment. And now a judge is confronted with various documents and legal oppositions, and they're supposed to give a judgment there too. So this might be one of the curtaining shorthand uh, factor in in the judgment in itself. And I have been made aware actually that the um, the the minister will be appealing this particular judgment for. But I do understand that. But also another interesting thing is that a court is empowered to actually um, determine a rationality of an exercise um, of a government, in other words, the minister, as to whether or not a particular exercise was rational or not uh, for her. Okay. But yeah, what I also maybe find questionable is that, that they, the court pretty much struck down all the regulations. Um, as irrational, without maybe differentiating between the various regulations, because uh, surely not all the regulations can be regarded as, as clearly, uh, you know, irrational. So um, yeah, um, I would also think that you know, in such a case, the court should maybe uh, then just deal with the specific um, regulations that are maybe unconstitutional because they uh, are contrary to the you know rights entrenched in the uh, constitution. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, it, it's to an extent also a court uh, order that has no effect because of the appeal. No? So everything is now actually pending uh, the appeal. So the regulations as such, despite the court order, are obviously still in force and must be must be uh, followed by everybody. Am I right? Correct, Volker, correct. That is very correct, Volker. Okay. All right. No, thanks. Uh, we'll uh, keep an eye on what happens with the with the appeal, and uh, it will be interesting to see what uh, what uh, the final outcome is of that, and we'll certainly keep our listeners posted on that as well. Thank you, Rico, once again. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, Volk. Don Deka and Panza from Fafel Duffy Attorneys is going to discuss uh, another defamation case today with us. Um, this time it's uh, the um, action brought against the UDM leader, um, Mr. Bantu Wulumisa. Um, a couple of um, months ago, we, for example, also dealt with the defamation case that was uh, brought against um, Elon Musk. Um, but yeah, this time around, another set of facts is in front of the court, and the court had to decide whether the plaintiff can 
succeed with a claim or should succeed with a claim for defamation. So, yeah, Tandeka, what are the facts? What uh, happened in this case? Well, good afternoon, Mr. Falcon. Good afternoon to the listeners at home. So in this matter, the MEC for Department of Safety and Liaison in the Eastern Cape, Ms. Weziwe Kotiwe, um, is suing UDM leader and member of parliament, Mr. Bandu Holomisa, for defamation of character. Now, she wanted for the, the court to order for him to retract an allegedly defamatory Twitter post, publish an apology on his Twitter account and pay damages to her in the amount of 250000 now, the MEC launched the application after Holomisa published a Twitter post which read as follows our quoted verbatim. Hashtag comrades and corruption are at it again. Sakisizwe civil society structures forum gravely concerned about the Eastern Cape Provincial Executive's decision to quarantine 18 suspected COVID-19 patients in Mayoka Lodge, Gala. This lodge is owned by MEC Weziwe Kultiwe Magatgot. So this tweet basically in a nutshell suggests irregular appointment of a service provider who has close links with the applicant. Mr. Yeah. Holomisa was speaking out against the, the, the Mayoka Lodge, which, by the way, is, is owned by the MEC's daughters, being used as a COVID-19 quarantine facility in the Eastern Cape without the proper tender, without the tender being adv advertised or made public. So the normal competitive tendering and procurement procedures were not followed. So in her founding affidavit, the MEC complained that through the tweet, Mr. Olomisa claimed or insinuated that she was involved in corruption, that she owned the Mayoka Lodge, that the lodge would be used to quarantine 18 suspected COVID-19 patients and that because of her ownership of the lodge, she should be fired, all of which she alleges to be untrue and defamatory. All right. And, and the court, did the court uh, agree with uh, which one of them who won the case? Well, before I get into that, I'll just begin, I'll just touch on some of the factors that the court considered in making their decision. Um, yes. They considered the, the defences that were raised by Mr. Holomisa in his answering affidavit. Um, Mr. Holomisa denied that the tweet was defamatory on the basis that the tweet was substantially true, it was reasonable, it was in the public interest, and constituted fair comment. Now, these are fundamentally the, the, the defences that are, are often heard in defamation suits. And another another factor um, the court considered, you'll remember that the applicant claimed that she did not own the lodge. However, she failed to advise that she has a substantial interest in the lodge by virtue of her daughter being an owner of the lodge. And furthermore, this lodge was established in 2014 when the applicant's daughter was only 20 years old, unemployed, and had no discernible source of income, meaning the applicant's daughter was not in a position for her to purchase the company. This is something the applicant did not reply to, and the court remarked that in the absence of an explanation from the MEC or the daughter in this regard, the probabilities are that the MEC provided the capital layout to start the business and is in all probability the owner thereof, meaning that she has a, an interest in the in the lodge. Um, yes. uh, another factor as well um, is that Mioka Lodge is located on the property that is the private residence of the applicant. Another factor, the court in its ruling remarked, it is, it is telling that she did not indicate in her founding affidavit to whom the lodge belonged to. Um, but these are all the factors that the court took in consideration. But yeah, uh, Mr. Mr. Holomisa won. The, the, the Phoenician case was not granted. It was dismissed with costs. Okay. Just to repeat those defenses, please. I mean, as you mentioned, those are very well-known uh, defenses uh, that mm -hmm. uh, a, a defendant can raise if he's uh, sued for uh, defamation. No? 
Um, Indeed. Again? Uh, the first one is substantially true. Uh, yep. It has to have a, um, a very of um, a level of truthness to it. Um, it and needs to that's be what re the board reasonable. Basically said in this case, you know, based on your, uh, you know, that analysis that you now explained, uh, mm. uh, actually came to the conclusion that it appears to be factually uh, accurate. Now, what what uh, Mr. Holomisa was saying. Exactly, um, yeah. that and reasonableness. It has to be um, in the public interest, and which is also another important factor. Um, obviously, tendering and procurement services that are that are not being um, 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 varied um, service the correct way would be in the public interest for us to know and yeah. also yeah. something that constitutes fair comment so yeah yeah exposing corruption truly is in the interest of the public no exactly so there be any uh, problem there uh, so in the last one you mentioned there is uh, um it needs comment. to yes it needs to constitute fair comment okay mm -hmm. so the court was actually also happy, happy that the tweet indeed constituted a fair comment indeed indeed okay. Just uh, um, re repeat the wording that he used in the tweet, uh, please. Okay, the exact wording was, hashtag comrades in corruption are at it again. Sakisizwe Civil Society Structures Forum gravely concerned about the Eastern Cape's provincial executive's decision to quarantine 18 suspected COVID-19 patients in the Mioka Lodge. Hashtag Gala. This lodge is owned by MEC Weziwe Tikani Kotiwe. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Mm. <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah, he obviously made it very clear what he what he thinks of the whole thing. Um, mm. Okay, so so what what are the lessons? What we what can we tell the listeners? Obviously, you must be careful um, with what you uh, tweet out there because I mean a lot of people can uh, read those tweets, especially if you are a well-known political figure like uh, Mr. Odomisa obviously is in South Africa. But uh, yeah, in this case, he, he basically. Um, uh, you know, stood the test of those uh, those requirements that you just uh, um, mentioned. So Indeed. as long as you make sure that what you uh, communicate is factually true, and that it's reasonable comment, and that's in the public interest, uh, mm. which will, I guess, will always be the case if you, for example, expose corruption, um, mm. then you should be okay. Or what advice would you give the listeners? Well, firstly, um, I would like to advise the listeners that regarding uh, defamation of character cases, it is, I don't want to say it's difficult to prove such a case, but you need to remember that um, by definition, defamation is a wrongful and intentional publication of def defamatory words or conduct that refers to another person, which, which means that there are elements of wrongfulness, intent, and publication of a defamatory statement. But I think from what we can learn from this case is that that alone is not sufficient, um, whereas, whereas there are valid defenses such as the truthfulness of the matter, the reasonableness, the public interest. So I think before um, um, our listeners haste to go um, have a ca case open for defamation of character, you need to consult a lawyer and um, really thoroughly analyze whether you do have merits to bring about such a case. Yeah, I think I would uh, agree with that advice. I mean, I'm not a litigation attorney, but I've had a couple of consultations with clients who are really, really upset about something that someone else um, said about them or wrote about them or, um, you know, published about them. And uh, yeah, I always explain to them that our law in that respect is, is, is fairly conservative, uh, mm. also in terms of the damages that would be awarded. So even if you might succeed in, in, in proving that there was 
you know, and wrong, a wrongful act and that there was defamation. But the next question always is whether, um, you know, any um, substantial damages can be awarded. I mean, mm -hmm. only very well-known public figure will probably be successful in showing that, you know, substantial compensation will have to be paid to, uh, you know, compensate you for uh, the defamation, for the damage that you have suffered as a result of the defamatory comments that were made. And, and I mean, not too many people fall into that category. The Latin mm -hmm. term is the minimis non corat lex, as you would uh, know, uh, uh, Tandeka, the, the law does not govern trifles, no, is what I think Indeed. the English translation is, or the law ignores insignificance.